Welcome to the Volusi Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. An interesting phenomena that has begun, and it's because the people I know around me are starting to listen to the podcast or take more of an interest in me. They're getting more involved, which is great. I really appreciate it. The problem is they don't seem to understand the reality of the recording process. And I think because I will record a segment. I record these segments on my day off and they end up being a big pile on the desktop of my computer. And then I grab a bunch of ones and I put them together, maybe thematically or maybe even just randomly sometimes. And that's how I construct an episode. Sometimes the things I've recorded are about two or three weeks old when I put them into a podcast. Then I edit it and I post it and then I start thinking about next week or the next episode or I think, oh my God, I've run out of ideas. The podcast is actually finished. People listen to the podcast and then they meet me and they make references from the podcast and they are confused as to why I don't have a clue what they're talking about. But the reality is there is a very real possibility that the reference they're making is to me about three or four weeks old. And I'm actually thinking off into the future, like what's the next topic, what's the next thing I could actually talk about, I have absolutely completely forgotten about what I talked about in the past. Like there's only one person involved in this. There's just me, I make it, I do all the stuff, I do the editing, I do the posting, whatever. And I should have a better sense of what's been said on the podcast. So if you meet me in person and you make a reference from the podcast and I look at you quizzically, like I have no idea what you're talking about, that is not me being a difficult person. That is literally me not having an idea what you're talking about. So we might have to start prefacing conversations or references with episode numbers or something. So at least I know that you're making a reference from the podcast and not some other form of media that I'm not aware of. Cora question. My 13-year-old son, who is tech savvy, claims he knows a password that can shut down our internet connection temporarily and says he will activate the system if we do not agree to buy him more video games. Am I right to believe him? Or is he bluffing? Well, it actually doesn't matter either way. So let's say he does have this capability. The capability, though, quite frankly, everyone in the house has. You can just disconnect the router and then no one has internet in your house. If it's on Wi-Fi, you just unplug the Wi-Fi. These are not hard systems to upset if you're just talking about a local network in your house. He can't turn off the internet for the area. So it's clearly something he can do locally. Maybe he's broken into the router and can reset the password or something like that. Maybe he can do a temporary shutdown. Those would not actually be hard things to do. So yes, he could do it. But what would be the worst consequence of that happening is there would be no internet for a while. Now, I would put money on a 13-year-old wants to have access to the internet a lot more than a group of adults. The only way this becomes a valid threat is if you run a business or you make your money on the internet. And if he threatens that, at that point, you can say, well, if you shut down my business, I'm not going to make any money. I can't buy you video games or food. So really, the consequence of shutting off the internet 
probably seems like a big deal to him. That's probably why it was one of the things he thought, like, oh, what is something that none of us can live without? It's, it's internet, so I'll threaten to take that away. But that's because it's a big deal to him. If someone threatened to turn off my internet, I would be like, okay, like, go ahead, shoot the hostage in this case. And then what if he's bluffing? He can't do it. He's not as tech savvy as he's led you to believe. Well, then nothing happens. Now, personally, my instinct would be to take away his ability to play video games for making a threat. Because I think the problem here is the imbalance in power. If you are taking a threat from your child seriously or you think they're actually going to carry out a threat. If they're threatening you and they think this is a fair way to negotiate, you have a different problem to actually deal with. The I want you to buy me more video games is pretty common. I would definitely say if the kid is as tech savvy as you believe he is, he could do some work on the internet, even if he's only 13, make some money himself and buy his own video games. But the actual core issue here is that you have an adversarial relationship and you seem to be lacking in some sort of authority in the situation because your child is comfortable with the idea of threatening you. Now, certainly it's not violence, but they're threatening to take away something that maybe you consider is important in order to get what they want. That is what needs to be taken care of. So the first thing would be to sit down and have a conversation about why he thinks that's okay. Does he understand how the house works? This kind of stuff. And then absolutely there should be some negative consequences for him. And since he wants more video games, clearly video games are important to him. So that's where I would go first. I'd be like, well, since you made this threat, I'm going to no video games for X amount of days. Uh, maybe let's agree on how you could earn back the right to play video games or the ability to play video games. So there does need to be a very serious conversation there. And these questions on Quora often aren't designed for actual conversation. Again, one of the reasons I got interested in them is most of them carry an underlying assumption. And that underlying assumption is a neat thing to talk about before you actually get into the question itself. Part that the question asker is missing here is that there is losing your internet is not a significant consequence to an action, so there is no loss to calling his bluff. And just having said video games in my head, I bet most of the video games he wants to play are like Fortnite, and these games and other online games, which means if there's no internet in the house, he can't actually play them anyway. So that sort of increases the likelihood that he's not actually going to be able to turn off the internet himself. Maybe he could turn it off localized, but then if he's turned off the internet for the rest of the house, all you have to do is punish him so that he's not allowed to go to his room or his computer, wherever he would normally play. And now you've come to sort of a, a stalemate because if I don't get internet, you don't get internet. And if you don't get internet, you don't get to play video games. But the clue to me that this was probably fake was in the beginning of the question, he says, he claims he knows a password that can shut down the internet. Now modems and, and routers and stuff, they do have passwords, but it's not like you can shut them down temporarily. You could change the password. You could lock people out, but you can't lock some people out and not others. And again, I think a 13-year-old kid is not going to remove his own access to the internet in any real way. Having the name Peter means that I have heard of the Peter Principle many times because, of course, people hear about the Peter Principle and then feel the overwhelming desire or need to tell me about the principle they've heard that includes my name as if I would have never heard that thing before. One of the problems... It's actually like a good point and bad point of getting older is that you start to hear the same things over and over again. So it's bad because people come and tell you stuff that you know, 
and they tell you as if it's the first time you've ever heard it. And they're very excited about it, and it's really hard to share their enthusiasm. The benefit, though, is you actually get to practice responses. So a lot of times people think I'm smart or witty or have quick comebacks because my brain works quickly, but it's actually not true. The actual effect is that I've heard that two or three times and then over that time have been able to formulate a response. And this might explain why a lot of older people you know have sort of quick comebacks to things. It's because they've heard those things before. So the Peter Principle in effect, though, is that if you're good at your job, you'll be promoted. But then if you think about it, if you're good at your job, you'll receive promotions until you are no longer good at your job, which explains why everyone who is in a position of authority is not actually good at their job because they should be one level below that where they were still good at their job. So it's actually defined as you are promoted until you lack the skills to succeed, thus you will remain at that position. Your final place, so whatever job you have that you stay at forever because that's the place where you are no longer capable of moving up anymore, is called the Peter Plateau. So there are two Peters in this. There's a Peter Principle which results in the Peter Plateau. Now, no one has ever explained to me why they use the name Peter, because this was clearly formulated before I existed, so it has nothing to do with me. But still, people who read about it or hear about it, they come very excitedly and say, do you know about the Peter Principle? And I say, yes. And then I explain it to them, and they are disappointed. So telling me anything generally leads to some sort of disappointment in other people's lives. I decided to take this and look up with some other ones, and make a game that could be played at a training session at my company so before we began. And it turns out the game was not very popular because I was generally the only one who enjoyed it, which does sort of ascribe towards the Peter Principle where I've made something that was successful for me, but no one else. The next one is Parkinson's Law. Parkinson's Law I found interesting because the amount of time needed to complete a task will expand to fill the time available. So if you have one hour to do something, it will take one hour. If you have five hours to do something, it will probably take five hours. But the Stock-Sanford corollary to Parkinson's Law states that if you wait until the last minute, it only takes a minute to do. So trying to measure how long a task will take becomes almost impossible because people will take as much time as they have to do the task. This relates to Hofstetter's law, where it always takes longer than you would expect, even when you take into account Hofstetter's law. So let's say I think this job is going to take an hour. Well, then Hofstetter's law says it will actually take an hour and a half. But if I take into account Hofstetter's law and give myself an hour and a half, it will take two hours. So that's not necessarily opposite to Parkinson's law. It's just saying that no matter how much time you give yourself, you will always need more time, which actually sort of matches because if you have five hours, Parkinson's law states that it will always take five hours to complete the task. Jumping over to a very different thing is the Snackwell effect. The Snackwell effect states that dieters will eat more low-calorie cookies, in the example with Snackwells, which is why it got its name, than they otherwise would have normal cookies. So, so because you're eating something that's lower calorie, you feel justified in eating twice as many of those things, meaning you're getting exactly the same calories, only probably with less satisfaction. And that's how people justify to themselves doing more because actually they're just doing exactly the same. But then since there's no change in your behavior or your calorie intake in this case, there's no reason to actually eat the diet foods, which quite honestly are often more expensive. Cunningham's Law, which probably everyone on the internet actually knows, states that the best way to get the right answer on the internet is not to post a question, 
but to post a wrong answer. And people will flood in and actually start giving corrections. And that's the fastest way to get the right answer to a question on the internet. And we've all seen this. People love pointing out other people's mistakes on the internet. They love grammar checking. They love finding tiny flaws in the hopes that they can then demonstrate to everyone that they're smarter than the person who originally posted the question because they have the right answer or found a mistake. I have actually talked, I know, about people who point out mistakes in the past because in my position in my company, I talk about things and people love sitting in the audience waiting. So I'll talk for about two hours, let's say, and then someone will find one mistake and they seem to think that that them finding a single error in 30 seconds of a two-hour talk is the same as being smarter than the person making the two-hour talk or that they've found some flaw in the system that then devalues whatever you're talking about. A lot of times the motivation doesn't seem to be malicious. It seems to be just, if I can find a single error in the two hours of someone speaking, I therefore am smarter than the person speaking. Despite the fact that most of the people who point out those errors would not be able to make the two-hour speech in the first place. Another internet one is Goodwin's Law, or Godwin's Law, is the principle that the longer an online discussion goes on, the more likely it will become that someone will make a comparison to Hitler or the Nazis. Which is pretty true, because we've gotten, that, we've gotten to a point where that is just a default. It's not even like a dramatic turn of events now. It's just, if you need to equate something to something bad... The first instinct, because we've all heard it now so many times, people's first instinct is to make that initial immediate comparison to the Nazis. Now, the last two are ones I really enjoy because I actually think they're very, very true. Sturgeon's Law is the idea that 90% of everything is shit. So people think movies from the past were better. So let's say, oh yeah, in the 80s they made better movies, or in the 70s they made better movies. But... The fact is we only remember the 10% of the movies that were good from those at past eras as opposed to the 90% of garbage that was forgotten. So movies were not better in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s because the only ones that have lasted are the 10% that were good. So right now you see 10 movies, nine of those movies are terrible and one's really good. That one movie that is good will hold out and be remembered 20, 30 years from now. But everyone's going to forget the nine other movies, like The Meg. Now, this is true of all media, so this is going to be true of books and movies and songs and music. And, and now that we have the internet, it's going to be true of the internet. The bits of the internet that last are going to be the 10% of the internet that was good. But if you think about the sheer volume of the internet, that just shows how much is going to be forgotten overall. Now, the last one, I saved it for the last one because it is one of my favorites, and it's actually slightly changed my thinking to a, to, to a more positive outlook on life. Henlon's razor is never a tribute to malice, which can adequately be explained by stupidity. Now, I used to think people said a lot of things to be mean. I used to think people said a lot of things to hurt other people on purpose. And then I realized, after I'd heard this, that most of those people are they're not actually trying to hurt anyone. And again, most of the time they're trying to be smart. What they're actually doing is just being stupid. They're not realizing what they're saying hurts people. They're not realizing what they're saying is stupid. They're not realizing what they're saying is, is, has a negative impact on the people around them in some way. And that has saved me now from probably getting in trouble because I now say less things to people about how awful they are or actually get into fights. I get into fewer arguments 
with other people because now when people say things that I think are malicious, I take a moment and go, nah, that person's probably just really dumb. So if you are in my presence and I stop talking or I stop responding because you've said something that maybe is argumentative, I'm probably actually standing there thinking, yeah, that person's not very smart. So there are some principles, some effects, some laws see if they apply to your life. It came from a little side project I made that failed, but I didn't want to like throw that material away. So I am making sure it's out there. So next time you hear someone say something you consider really awful, don't get angry at them. Feel a little bit of pity because let's face it, they're not malicious. They're just stupid. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. <sighs>